This program is made possible by members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with us today from comedian Lee Camp, the Tom Hartman program, the Young Turks, the David Pakman show, the Progressive, the Rachel Maddow show, NPR, the Majority Report, Dan Savage, on the media, and markfiore.com. Every time there's a horrific massacre of all American proportions in this country, we have the exact same gun control debate, or should I say, the same gun control whining, screaming, yelling, ruckus of a pissing contest. One side says, this wouldn't happen if there were more gun control. And the other side says, don't take away my rights just because one crackpot with a Glock took out a schoolroom. I don't take away your right to bear cheese every time someone knocks a guy over the head with a block of camembert, bitch. I'm only going to address one part of this continuous bickering, but I think it's the most important part. Some people act like they're against gun control, when in fact, we're all for some kind of gun-slash-weapon control. I have yet to meet anyone who says we should be allowed to have a nuclear bomb on our porch or a grenade launcher in our bedroom. Very few people defend your right to own a tank or keep a dirty bomb in your pants. Too many puns to choose from. And if the military created a laser handgun tomorrow that could shoot through everything from New York to Idaho in a single shot, every person, creature, house, barn, every Applebee's, Chuck E. Cheese, construction site, and bestialite in one pull of the trigger, I think very few people would argue that everyone should be allowed to sit down at a dinner with one in their pocket. No one seems to claim that their Second Amendment rights are infringed upon because they can't own a home Panasonic atom bomb. My point is that people say they are against gun control, but clearly everyone is for some weapon control of varying degrees. If you're not, you're more psychotic than the love child of Kim Jong-un and Mad Dog Tannen. So let's stop this nonsense where people say gun-slash-weapon control doesn't solve problems. If that were the case, then there would be a a lot of people proposing that we each have our own nuclear arsenal. So the question is not whether the weapons in this country should have any control at all. We all agree they should. The question is instead where to draw the line, at what level or size of gun. Arguing that because someone doesn't want assault rifles on the streets, they are therefore opposed to your entire Second Amendment right, makes as much sense as saying that because I think an adult man should not be allowed to have sex with a 13-year-old, I'm therefore opposed to your right to have a consensual of any kind. Or that because you believe the speed limit should be 65 miles per hour, you're therefore opposing the entire right to drive a car. The world is not black and white. Stop behaving like children for one second, and maybe we can then have a civil debate about the proper laws in this country. You think the forecast is sunny and bright The grass is growing you might be right, but sparks are flying and fires will light. Those blazing bonfires gonna burn through the night. Now you think that it's still early, but it's late afternoon. If you wanna turn a new leaf, make it soon. I've, I've recalibrated my thinking on guns. I, I, you know, I've told you for years and years that I that I felt that, um, by and large, local communities should be able to make the rules. And, that, you know, I've been fairly 
not quite libertarian, more more like, you know, classical Democratic Party position on gun control, you know, and in Vermont, it's not that big a deal. In New York City, it is a big deal. So let the Vermonters deal with it differently than people in New York City. And, and it just ain't working. You know, it's just not working. But here's here's what has caused me to think about about guns differently is you know first of all I'm learning things I didn't know about Switzerland and us and and uh, Israel in fact I've been you know bad guests on this program and they typically they're people I debate with they're you know and so and then they've been putting out the same propaganda that the Charles Koch Foundation aka the Cato Institute uh, has been putting out forever and it's a lie. There is no right to own a gun in either of those countries. In fact, in both countries, you have to prove that you need to have a gun in order to get a gun. Now, here's what happened in Australia. And this is from Slate.com. There's also uh, Eric the Reddish uh, reposted the part of this over at DemocraticUnderground.com uh, under the title, The Aussies Had a Gun Massacre Problem. I don't know if the threat is still up, but uh, if it is, it's easy to find there, too. Or Slate.com. And uh, it, back in 1996, in Tasmania, which, you know, arguably isn't even Australia. I mean, Tasmania is to Australia sort of like Puerto Rico is to the United States. It's, I, I believe that it's a semi-autonomous protectorate. I, I could be wrong. It might be now considered a province. But years ago, when I was first there, it was, they certainly, the Tasmanians certainly viewed themselves as separate. But in any case, let's just say it's more like Hawaii. But whatever it was, this guy killed 35 people and wounded 23. Mass shooting. Twelve days later, the newly elected Prime Minister of Australia, a conservative by the name of John Howard, I think I said Major before, it's John, uh, John Major is the British guy, John Howard is the Australian guy. John Howard is, is like, he, he's Australia's George W. Bush. He's a, he's a conservative Republican, or it's not the Republican Party there, it's whatever the party is, but it's the conservative party, their equivalent of our Republican Party. Twelve days after this massacre, he said, okay, let's change the gun laws. Damn it, we've had enough of this. So now in Australia, first they said, let's, let's soak up all the guns that are out there. They bought, the government, they had this massive gun buyback. Turn in your guns, we'll buy them from you. 600,000 people turned in their guns and sold them back to the government. 600,000 to be melted down. And then they put in, that's about a fifth of all the guns that were in circulation in Australia. And then they put, which in the United States, a fifth of all of our 300 million guns would be 60,000. 60 million. No, sixty. You know, you've got three hundred million guns. If I said three hundred thousand, is we have we have three three hundred and a little more than three hundred million people. We've got about three hundred million guns in the United States. Twenty percent of three hundred million guns is six sixty million guns. So that would be the equivalent of sixty million guns being sold back to the government of the United States. It's just soaking them up. And then they put into law gun laws prohibiting private sales of guns. They have to go through licensed dealers. No more gun show loopholes. No more selling to your friends. Requiring that every single gun in the country be registered to a single owner, the way we do with cars here. 
and requiring that if you want to buy a gun, you must produce proof of a, quote, genuine reason for needing each weapon at the time of purchase, and self-defense doesn't count. So you have to prove that you have a genuine reason. Now, what happened when they put this into place in 1996? From 1995 to 2006, this is the tranche of time for which the statistics were compiled, Homicides by firearm plunged 59%, dropped 59%. Suicides down 65% at suicides by guns. And they found a close correlation between the sharp declines and the buyback. Now, the gun, I want to say gun rights, but I, don't, I want to stop using that phrase because the, the gun nuts call it gun rights. The, the gun advocates, that anybody should be able to own any gun they want, anytime for any reason, folks, they would say, well, if you don't have a gun in your home, you can't protect yourself against a burglary. Well, here again from the Slate article, robberies and volume of firearm also dropped significantly. Meanwhile, home invasions did not increase, contrary to fears the firearm ownership is needed to deter such crimes. And in the 10 years before this giant, you know, Gun buy-up in 1996, there had been 11 mass shootings, mass murders in Australia. There hasn't been a single one in the country since. It was like they saw a problem, they did something about it. We need to do the same thing. We need to say in the United States, you want to own a gun? Prove you have a reason. There ain't no reason things are this way. It's how they always been and they intend to stay. I can't explain why we live this way. We do it every day. Preachers on the podium speaking of saints. Prophets on the sidewalk begging for change. Old ladies laughing from the fire escape, cursing my name. I got a basket full of lemons and they all taste the same. A window in a pigeon with a broken wing. You can spend your whole life working for something just to have it taken away. We told you about Japan. I'll just give you one of the facts that we gave you there. Uh, Gun-related homicides in 2006, as an example, in the United States was uh, 10,225. In Japan, it, is, it was two. Now, to be fair, there's 127 million people in Japan. We have over 300 million. So you'd ha really have to triple the Japanese number per capita. That would be six. We had over 10,000. Why? Because Japan very tightly regulates guns. And so does Australia. Now, why does Australia do it? Because they had a shooting in 1996 where 35 people got killed in a resort town, and people were furious about it, and they decided they were going to take action. Now, in America, when you talk about uh, taking action after one of these tragedies, uh, the people who politicize the event, that's the NRA, say, don't do anything, don't do anything, because that would politicize it. No, not doing anything, maintaining the status quo, also politicizes it, and it does it on purpose, so we never fix the problem, right? Now, did they listen to that crap in Australia? No. You know how quickly they passed gun control legislation after that massacre? Twelve days. <laughs> not now, not now, don't talk about it now, it's too early, too soon. Twelve days. Well, how did it work? Well, first of all, what were the measures taken? Now, by American standards, these are draconian. 
Rapid-fire rifles and shotguns were banned, gone. Gun owner licensing was tightened across the board, significantly so. The remaining firearms were registered to uniform national standards. Uh, of course, here in America, the NRA and the nut jobs on the right would say, Oh, dictatorial government, oh my God, they're actually registering my guns. Well, if you're not going to commit any problems with it, what's the issue, right? More. They also did federally funded gun buybacks. Spent over $500 million buying back guns. And there was also large-scale voluntary surrenders of the uh, weapons as well. You know what they did? They collected and destroyed more than a million firearms, approximately one-third of the nation's stock. Well, obviously, now that there were so many less guns in Australia and new guns were shotguns, etc., were banned, uh, you were going to get more violence according to the right wing, right? Because the guns protect you. They are for self-defense. More guns equals less violence, right? Hmm. Well, let's look at the numbers. The risk of dying by gunshot fell by 50 percent after 1996. So now we've there's been a long time since then, 16 years. Fell by 50 percent. All right. How many mass shootings have there been since then? Zero. In the 15 years before that, there were 13. It's not like Australia didn't have mass shootings. They had 13 mass shootings before the law, zero in the 16 years after. Zero. How about the national uh, gun homicide rate? Well, it remains only 30 times lower than in the United States. Here's what gun control does. It works. When you do gun control, you have less gun-related deaths. You have less deaths. It's obvious. It's true in Japan. It's true in the UK. It's true in dozens of countries. And it's also a great example in Australia. The only difference between Australia and us is that they actually care that their citizens were massacred. They actually wanted to do something about it. They wanted to fix it. And apparently their politicians were not nearly as bought off as our politicians are. You think the NRA represents gun members? No, they violate the members' wishes all the time. A great percentage of NRA members say there should be reasonable, sane gun restrictions. The NRA says no. Why? Because they don't work for their members. They work for the gun manufacturers who make money off of killing us. In Australia, it was a conservative Prime Minister John Howard, who passed that law. One of the most conservative in Australian history. But they passed it in 12 days because they actually care about their own citizens and they don't want them to die in massacre after massacre. But our politicians don't do a damn thing because they're all corrupt, bought off. You could fill in the blank. Got to get out, got to get away. Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady. My name is Janine Garofalo. This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. Even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Palace, and I've got my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity. Free at LeeCamp.net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook, get it at LeeCamp.net or on most e-reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry. Running like an animal, I'm hoping I can hide.
Just a little while ago, President Obama came out. He made a statement at the White House press briefing room about plans regarding guns and gun regulations following up on the Newton Sandy Hook School massacre. Let's listen to a little bit of what he had to say, and then we'll discuss it. ...is complex, can no longer be an excuse for doing nothing. The fact that we can't prevent every act of doesn't mean we can't steadily reduce the violence and prevent the very worst violence. That's why I've asked the Vice President to lead an effort that includes members of my cabinet and outside organizations to come up with a set of concrete proposals no later than January, proposals that I then intend to push without delay. This is not some Washington commission. This is not something where folks are going to be studying the issue for six months and publishing a report that gets read and then pushed aside. This is a team that has a very specific task to pull together real reforms right now. I asked Joe to lead this effort in part because he wrote the 1994 crime bill that helped law enforcement bring down the rate of violent crime in this country. That plan, uh, uh, that bill uh, also included the assault weapons ban that was publicly supported at the time by former presidents, including Ronald Reagan. So then he also goes on to say that we should get an actual vote on the head of the ATF, uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, which hasn't happened for six years. They've really kind of been without an official head of the ATF for some time now. So, okay, this is what, this is what President Obama wants to do. Uh, we've heard that the NRA is, is saying they might consider some concessions on some things, and as much as it sickens me to even have to admit that the NRA is actually a factor in these negotiations, they are. What do you think? Are we going to see anything happen or change as a result of this? President Obama saying this is not to be studied for six months and then, then do nothing. It's for now. Right. Uh, hard to say. I can't imagine. Um, I, I, can't, I guess I can imagine a ban on assault weapons. But uh, unfortunately, I don't see people who already own them having them taken away. Yeah. Now, you know, there's a really interesting article that's uh, in, in the Chronicle of Higher Education which identifies a number of different myths and realities about gun control. And some of them are myths held by the left, and some of them are myths held by the right. And because President Obama talked about the assault weapons ban, and because you talked about it, I want to read to you what this uh, list of myths says about that. And the myth, as it claims, is that restoring the federal ban on assault weapons would prevent this type of crime. And it indicates the reality is that the overwhelming majority of mass murderers use firearms that would not even be restricted by an assault weapons ban. In fact, semi-automatic handguns are far more prevalent in mass shootings. Of course, limiting the size of ammunition clips would at least pause, uh, make the gunman pause to reload. So that is a factor. I don't, even though the assault weapons that would be banned by the ban often aren't the ones used in these shootings, I still think that figuratively, if there is the will to do that, it can be done as part of a broader thing, because even if those aren't the source of the shooting, do we really need those weapons, right? It still seems to be okay. I just don't want it to be misconstrued as the solution. Right. Uh, it's just part, part of the solution. It can help. It can only help. No question about it. Now, the other issue is we really have to talk about this idea that mass shootings are on the rise. I've looked up as much information as I can about this, and the evidence I've found suggests that over the last three decades, there have been about 20 mass shootings a year 
in the United States, each with at least four victims killed. And uh, it seems that sometimes by coincidence they, they do happen clustered together, sometimes they don't, but that it's really more of a media coverage thing, the instant and pervasive and constant media coverage that we've talked about that has made it appear as though they are on the rise. But if, if people have other information, please correct me, but I've not seen evidence that the mass shootings are on the rise. Right, but of course, any time there's a mass shooting, you suddenly start hearing about um, much smaller, more more minor shootings happening all across the country. Like I said on a show earlier, we live next to uh, a city that has shootings just about every day, and we don't even hear about them. Right. We live right next door. So I do agree that the ammunition thing is a big factor. If people increasingly have trouble getting ammunition for the guns that they like using, it is far more likely that they will they will not use that weapon at all or not keep it as an active weapon. So for people saying doing only A or B or C doesn't have an effect, all of these things together could have an effect. Let's wait and see. According to President Obama, it won't be long until we know what the proposal is. I really appreciated President Obama's speech at the Sandy Hook Interfaith Prayer Vigil Sunday night. He was a man. He was a parent. He was a leader, and he took a stand. He comforted the families of the victims, and he told them rightly that they weren't alone. He praised the school staff members who gave their lives trying to save the children in their care. He honored the other teachers who shielded their students literally and figuratively. He hailed the first responders who saw what no one ever should have to see. And he saluted the community for its compassion and caring. And we read off the first names of every child who was slaughtered in that elementary school. No one in America wasn't moved. But he didn't stop there. He could have. That would have been the easy way out. But instead, he castigated the nation for not doing enough to keep our children safe from harm. He alluded to the other mass shootings that have occurred since he was president, and he said bluntly, we can't tolerate this anymore. And he vowed to do everything in his power to prevent more tragedies like this. While he didn't mention the word guns or the term gun control, there was no question what he was talking about. Are we really prepared to say, he asked, that we're powerless in the face of such carnage, that the politics are too hard? It was something to see, a president acting so nobly. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. Show me something new. 
In order to understand one important element of the response to Newtown, in order to try to get a handle on the range of possible outcomes here, as we try to make decisions as a country as to whether we are going to change as a country because of this massacre and because of the national heartbreak it has caused, to try to get at that very big question, uh, there is a very narrow discussion to be had about a piece of new technology a piece of new technology that is worth explaining in this context, and it is this. Um, this is something called a 3D printer. The idea behind a 3D printer is that anybody can become a small-scale manufacturer of anything. All you have to do is download a computer file or create a computer file that has the specifications for the shape of a thing that you would like to build. You do have a limited range of the material that your 3D printer can make something out of that you have programmed it to make, but you can create a physical three-dimensional object with something that is the equivalent of a printer. Now, as yet, these things cost a few thousand bucks, but it is a relatively straightforward thing, and these exist. There are a bunch of different brands of them out there. You can manufacture something. It's neat. It's also interesting and complicated and maybe quandary-inducing when you consider the fact that one of the things that people are already starting to build with what they call 3D printers, these home manufacturing kits where you can make anything, one of the things people are already starting to make uh, is a gun. If you think about a, a gun as being kind of like a car, then the engine and the drivetrain in the car, the part of the car that makes it go, the equivalent of that in a gun is the part that's called the lower register. It's the, it's the guts of the gun, essentially. It's the part of the gun that's registered and regulated even if all the other parts of the gun can be bought, just as if they were uh, pieces of plumbing. But the lower receiver, I said lower register before, the lower receiver is the guts of the gun. It is the heart of the thing. And people have started to make lower receivers for AK-47 style weapons at home using a file that you can download on the internet. You can actually download it right here. I have one on my computer, which makes me wonder about the next time I have one of those things where NBC comes and checks my computer. This is what happened when the folks who printed that lower receiver fitted other parts of a gun that are not regulated the way a lower receiver is, fitted other parts of a gun onto that piece that they printed with a 3D printer. This is the video they released of themselves firing bullets out of it. And as you can see, the 3D printed gun failed and busted apart after it fired about six rounds. Uh, which makes it, uh, yes, a gun, but uh, the technical term for what kind of gun it is is that it is a crappy gun because it blew apart after six rounds. But this kind of thing is probably not going to stay a crappy gun for long. Not when you can get this far with stuff that you can find around the house, right? For all the work that has gone into thinking about who is allowed to have a gun in America and where you can buy one and what kinds of guns people are allowed to have, that all kind of goes out the window. If people can just download their chosen weapon at home and have it made manifest at their desk as a fully functioning real-life weapon. We are not far off that. What's that going to do to our gun laws? We have faced technological challenges to our thinking about guns before. In the late 1980s, advances in gunsmithing made it seem inevitable that gun manufacturing firms like Glock, for example, would start making fully plastic weapons, guns that would not ping at all if you carried one through a metal detector. And since metal detectors and x-ray machines were and are a major part of how we keep guns out of places that they are not allowed to be in this country, the U.S. Congress in 1988 passed something called the Undetectable Firearms Act. The Undetectable Firearms Act said basically your gun has to be detectable in an x-ray scanner. 
It has to have the equivalent x-ray signature of 3.7 ounces of stainless steel, even if you take out the magazine where the bullets go, and the stock and the grips. Even with those parts taken off, the remaining guts of the gun need to have a substantial metal component, so they will set off a metal detector, so they will be seen on an x-ray machine. And because of that law, we do not have fully plastic guns. That law was first passed in 1988. It was not particularly controversial. The vote in the House on that was 413 to 4. And President Ronald Reagan signed it. And tyranny was not unleashed upon the land. And nobody came to get anybody in a black helicopter. And it is not controversial now that it is illegal to manufacture or sell or possess a gun in the United States that is built to evade detection by standard means. We don't have plastic guns. We banned plastic guns. The ban has been renewed several times since. It is up for renewal again next year, and Congressman Steve Israel of New York is making the case that the new prospect of people being able to manufacture plastic guns at home with their privately owned 3D printers might be a good reason to renew that ban again when it comes up for renewal next year. Changing laws about guns in this country is always said to be impossible, but over and over again it proves to not be impossible. I mean, soldiers use fully automatic machine guns in battle all the time, right? There are millions of these weapons in circulation, but they are comparatively rare in instances of U.S. civilian gun crime. It's not that they never turn up, but they are comparatively rare, because fully automatic weapons are tightly regulated for the civilian market. Semi-automatic weapons, not so much, but fully automatic weapons, yes. That's because of federal regulation. Also, two years before President Reagan signed the plastic gun ban, he signed a ban on civilian sales or use of armor-piercing bullets, bullets that are designed to penetrate body armor. Also, in 1993, another president, President Clinton, signed a bill named for the official who had been shot along with President Reagan when John Hinckley tried to assassinate him. The Brady Bill, named for James Brady, instituted a federal background check system for people buying guns. And yes, there are plenty of loopholes to the background check system, but the system didn't exist at all before the Brady Bill made it so in 1993. They said it couldn't be done. It was done. Then the year after that, another step. The assault weapons ban. Democratic sponsors of the crime bill expect that President Clinton will take a major role in making sure the final bill bans semi-automatic assault weapons. As NBC's Pete Williams tells us tonight, this is the major unresolved issue, and it is a big one. They're called semi-automatic weapons. Each pull of the trigger fires one bullet. Americans own about a million of them. But they've been used in some especially deadly shootings, like this one last July at a San Francisco law firm that killed eight. That led a California senator to propose a ban on 19 types of semi-automatic rifles, pistols, and shotguns. That's now in the Senate crime bill. It targets weapons that have detachable clips for bullets, folding or telescoping stocks, and such features as bayonet mounts. The bill's sponsor calls them assault weapons. The bill's sponsor was successful. The bill became law. The bill's sponsor was Senator Dianne Feinstein of California. Back in 1994, after a mass shooting at a law firm in San Francisco perpetrated by a man with two Tech 9s and a semi-automatic pistol, took eight lives before he took his own. The assault weapons bill passed in 1994. It was a 10-year-long bill, which meant it was in effect for 10 years. Passed in 94, that means it came up for renewal in 2004. And in the administration of George W. Bush and Dick Cheney in 2004, we as a country decided to let it expire. Remember how I said the vote on the ban on plastic guns back in the 80s was a very lopsided vote? It was 413 votes in favor and only four votes against. 
Dick Cheney was one of the four votes against banning undetectable plastic guns designed to slip by metal detectors and airport x-ray machines when he was in the Congress. Dick Cheney in the Congress also voted against the Reagan ban on bullets designed to pierce body armor. And when the assault weapons ban came up for renewal in 2004, Bush and Cheney made sure it expired. Well, this weekend, Dianne Feinstein said she is going to bring the assault weapons bill back. It's a first-day bill I'm going to introduce in the Senate, and the same bill will be introduced in the House, uh, a bill uh, to ban assault weapons. Uh, it will ban the sale, the transfer, the importation, uh, and the possession, not retroactively, but prospectively. And it will ban the same for big clips, drums, or strips of more than 10 bullets. So there will be a bill. We've been working on it now for a year. We've tried to take my bill from 94 to 2004 and perfect it. We believe we have. We exempt over 900 specific weapons that will not be uh, fall under the bill. But the purpose of this bill is to get just what Mayor Bloomberg said, weapons of war off the streets of our city. What makes you think it can pass now? <clears throat> We've had tragedies before and nothing happens. Well, I'll tell you what happened back in 93 when I told Joe Biden, who was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, that I was going to move this as an amendment on the crime bill. He laughed at me. He said, you're new here. Wait till you learn. And uh, we got it through the Senate. We got it through the House. The White House came alive in the House of Representatives, and the Clinton administration helped. The bill was passed, and the president signed it. It can be done. It can be done. Every time something happens to reform gun laws in this country, there's this sense of marvel. They said it couldn't be done, but look what we were able to do. It can be done. It has been done. It's been done a lot. The biggest barrier to changing gun laws now, in the wake of this latest massacre, in Newtown, Connecticut, with 26- and 7-year-olds among the 27 dead, with a big majority of the American public and even a big majority of NRA members in favor of at least starter reforms to our gun laws, the biggest barrier to reforming our laws now may just be the pervasive common wisdom that it's not even worth it to try. Modern history defies that common wisdom, but it persists. It persists, maybe. Now, the last time we talked on this show about the long, long, and long-lost modern history of bipartisan gun reforms was in the wake of the Tucson mass shooting this past January, which very nearly killed Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. And in the wake of that shooting, the Tucson shooting, this was the general assessment about whether any reform of gun laws was possible. These were the headlines that we had. Gun control dead. A non-starter. Shootings unlikely to change laws. Don't expect any changes. That was our random survey of the headlines last January after the Tucson shootings. At least if you ask the Beltway common wisdom gods, after the Tucson shooting this past January, no change was possible. Now it seems like the common wisdom may be less certain. You look at the headlines now, and it's more like this. Debate on gun troll is revived. Lawmakers call for tougher gun laws in wake of Newtown massacre. Democrats vow action on gun control in wake of Newtown shooting. Gun control debate simmers after Sandy Hook massacre. Nobody's saying it's going to be easy for our country to reform its gun laws in the wake of this latest massacre of innocent civilians by someone wielding weapons designed for combat. Nobody says it's going to be easy to make those reforms. But anybody saying it will be impossible is either spinning you or they are not paying attention. History proves that change is possible. History proves that change is the only thing that is inevitable. So,
is All Things Considered. From NPR News, I'm Melissa Block. I'm Robert Siegel. Friday's massacre at a Connecticut elementary school has placed the issue of gun control back at the fore in Washington. Over the past several years, a powerful gun owner's lobby and a lack of public interest in gun control have stymied talk of new legislation. But this weekend, as President Obama spoke to mourning families in Newtown, he posed this question. Are we really prepared to say that we're powerless in the face of such carnage? That the politics are too hard? NPR's David Weldon reports now from Capitol Hill that there are some early signs of a political shift on guns. The first session of the Senate since the Newtown shootings opened today with a pointed prayer from Senate Chaplain Barry Black. Make our lawmakers willing to act promptly, remembering that time is fleeting. Majority Leader Harry Reid then called for a moment of silence. With a B rating from the NRA but no endorsement from that group in his last election, Reid has not been a proponent of tougher gun laws. Today, though, Reid signaled a willingness to explore how to prevent more gun slaughters. But we need to accept the reality that we're not doing enough to protect our citizens. In the coming days and weeks, we'll engage in a meaningful conversation and thoughtful debate about how to change laws and culture that allow this violence to continue to grow. Yesterday on NBC, California Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein announced that on the first day the new Congress meets next month, she'll introduce a bill similar to the now-expired assault weapons ban she sponsored 18 years ago. It will ban the sale, the transfer, the importation, uh, and the possession, not retroactively, but perspectively. And it will ban the same for big clips, drums, or strips of more than 10 bullets. And Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Patrick Leahy announced today he'll hold a hearing next month on preventing more shooting sprees. If there are practical and sensible and workable answers to prevent such unspeakable tragedy, we should make the effort to find them and then, then, Mr. President, we should have the courage, each and every one of us, to vote for those steps. Some conservatives are joining the calls for reviewing gun laws. Mark DeMoss has close ties to evangelical groups and was an advisor to Mitt Romney's presidential campaign. I just think we can't keep having occurrences like these and mourn and have uh, memorial services for a week or two and then go on until the next one. It really has changed us. It's changed me. That's West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin speaking this afternoon on MSNBC. Manchin is one of 31 senators with an A rating from the NRA, but he questions why anyone would need the kind of Bushmaster AR-15 semi-automatic assault rifle used in the Newtown killings. And I don't know of anybody uh, that goes hunting uh, with an assault rifle. I don't know anybody that needs those types of multiple clips as far as ammunition in a gun. The most that I've ever used in my hunting rifle is three shells. Usually you get one shot and very seldom ever two. Uh, this doesn't make a lot of sense, and this has to be brought to this level now, and it's a shame. And here's what Virginia Democratic Senator Mark Warner told WTVR-TV in Richmond today. I had an NRA rating of an A, um, but, you know, enough is enough. Uh, my, I've got... I'm, father of three daughters and this weekend they all said dad you know how can this go on and I like I think most of us realize 
that there are ways to get to rational gun control. And yet, for all the signs of a renewed debate in the Democratic-controlled Senate over gun laws, the Republicans who run the House have remained largely silent. David Wall, NPR News, the Capitol. Something's happening on the streets. It's not what I hear now. It's just what I see. Something's happening at the bar. This happy hour only gets you so far. You know, I, I want to just tell that story about the – we just glossed over it rather quickly. But this story came out from the AFP. It was, uh, came out, I guess, on Friday, just coincidentally. I'm not sure exactly when it took place. I think it was on Friday. A man in China in – uh, this is coming out of Beijing, I guess, or uh, Guanshan County, in the central prono- uh, province of Henan, Henan. A man apparently went into a primary school uh, and stabbed, attacked a bunch of kids there. 22 elementary school students were stabbed. So was an adult villager. None of the victims died. None of the victims died. Now, we don't know if uh, this killer in Connecticut didn't have such an easy, readable access to this uh, gun, which supposedly um, allows you to man up, or however it was, market. If he didn't get his man card reissued by getting hold of this uh, semi-automatic weapon, we don't know if he just had a gun whether or not, um, uh, or if he just had a knife, rather, whether or not he would have been able to kill 20 children and six adults. We don't know if he would have gone online, would have created a chemistry lab in his basement, been able to manufacture multiple bombs without blowing himself up or being discovered over a certain period of time or whether or not um, he would have stayed in the mental state long enough that you need to follow something like that through. We don't know those things. But common sense tells you that it would have been harder. The more obstacles you put in front of someone to complete a task, the less of a chances are they're going to complete that task. And if you take 10 of those people or 100 of those people, or a thousand of those people, the number of those incidents that will actually end up killing as many of those people as otherwise would is definitely going to drop. There's just simply no argument about that. The only argument that is left for you is that the right to bear arms is so sacrosanct. It's so quintessential. The individual right to bear arms is so sacrosanct that we cannot curtail that, then I hope that same person's also out there talking about how we should all be able to own bazookas 
and RPGs and howitzers. Because if that right's so sacrosanct, why aren't you out there saying we should all should be able to carry around grenades? There's no consistency here. And, um, you know, again, it points to the, the importance of the Supreme Court. When you have five lunatics sitting on the Supreme Court whose number one agenda is to maintain some type of uh, right-wing extremist ideology, then you get these type of interpretations of, of a law meant to allow for a militia, of a, of a constitutional right to maintain a militia in this country. But, um, you know, I don't know. I guess we'll see what, uh, what the public reaction is. Who cares if a country like Iran got nukes? Nukes don't kill people. People kill people. Right. There you go. I'm sitting on a hill street on your feet. Don't treat, let's go. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. I was going to talk about it at the top of the show. Um, I had some thoughts uh, about... Marriage equality coming to Washington, marriage equality, of course, coming to Maine and Maryland very shortly, and some things I wanted to say, but I just can't bring myself to talk about it in the wake of the school shooting in Connecticut, in the wake of our latest gun-enabled massacre on the same day that this lunatic walked into a school with a couple of guns and murdered scores of children. A lunatic walked into a school in China with a knife 22 children were stabbed by that lunatic in China. Nobody died. Nobody is having to bury their child. In Connecticut, 27 people are dead, 18 of them children between 5 and 10 years old. Yeah, guns don't kill people. People kill people. But people who kill people with guns do a much better job of killing people. At some point, we have got to wrestle the Second Amendment to the ground and amend the Second Amendment to put the emphasis on the well-regulated part. Caitlin Doty, who's been on the show, she is the coroner in Los Angeles, tweeted out in reaction to the killings in Connecticut to get an air rifle in Japan. An air rifle. You have to pass two classes, a written exam, a mental test, a drug test, and a background check. Meanwhile, we are throwing guns out windows. You can't buy fertilizer in the United States without register, without being investigated by the government. Excuse me, make a bomb out of that shit. But you can drive up to a gun show and leave with semi-automatic weapons and do whatever the fuck you want with them. And, this, and the shooting in Connecticut came right after the shooting at the mall in uh, Oregon. You know, 
We're not allowed to bring up gun control at a moment like this. The NRA and its apologists, its bought and paid for apologists in the U.S. Congress are constantly saying because that's exploiting tragedy. But the NRA exploits complacency during those increasingly rare not moments like this. We are running out of days when this shit hasn't happened here, where we are permitted to talk about it. I guess the NRA strategy now is if there's a mass shooting every day, we can never talk about gun control because that would just be exploiting tragedy. And I just get so angry. And as a parent right now, I'm just so upset, so heartbroken for these parents in Connecticut who are having to bury their children, who were sacrificed on the altar of gun nuts and gun rights on the Second Amendment. This precious right to have a gun, to protect your rights to have guns. That's all the people who are obsessed with the Second Amendment care about. The only rights they care about are the rights to protect guns. And now we can all look forward to lectures from those, from Congress men and women, mostly Republicans, also Democrats, bought and paid for by the National Rifle Association. People who live and work basically in a gun control bubble, the U.S. Congress, they're going to lecture us on how we must risk our lives when we go to work in a shopping mall in Oregon, in a movie theater in Colorado, in a grade school in Connecticut. We must risk our lives when we go to work because freedom, the Second Amendment, they have made it impossible, Congress people, they have made it impossible to carry a gun into their workplace, but easy to carry an assault rifle into your workplace. I think we should all have the same right to a gun-free workplace that Congress men and women have. I would love to see American liberals and progressives just get off our asses and say, yeah, we're com- let, let's do it. Let's, let's take your guns away. It's time. There was a school shooting in the United Kingdom where I think 12 children were murdered in a school, I believe in Scotland in the 90s. The UK's response, they banned handguns. The end, no more handguns. And who was to blame? Fucking nuts with guns. So if gun nuts want to be angry at anybody, maybe they should be angry at each other. Maybe they should be angry at other gun nuts who are bringing us to this point where we're just going to have to do something, like perhaps amend the U.S. Constitution. The same day that the nut went to the mall and shot it up in Oregon, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Illinois ruled that Chicago's ban on concealed weapons was unconstitutional. We're just going to have to do something about the Second Amendment, like amend it. We can't live like this. We can't take this shit anymore. We have reached, I hope, some sort of cultural tipping point. How many dead mothers at shopping malls buying Christmas presents for their children? How many dead children in classrooms in Connecticut? How many dead moviegoers in theaters in Colorado before we do something to regulate, to well-regulate our militias, our individual militias. Each of us individually somehow is a militia, according to the reading of the Second Amendment, promoted by the Supreme Court and every gun nut in this country. Liberals, progressives, it's time to do something. And the time is now. And we can't be cowed by this fucking exploiting tragedy by bringing it up now bullshit. Because we're running out of days where we're not having a tragedy like this. So we're just going to have to speak up regardless. And we're going to have to get in the president's face. We're going to have to get in Democrats' face. Because they are part of the problem, too. The rocking of his house had me holding on. But I knew 
Once Adam Lanza had been correctly identified as the shooter, speculation quickly turned to why he had killed so many. Particularly bandied about was whether Lanza had been diagnosed with either a personality disorder or Asperger's syndrome, a condition on the high-functioning end of the autism spectrum associated with extreme social awkwardness. If he had something called Asperger's, he may have had ongoing meltdowns. People are going to look at how we treat people we know have some sort of a mental disease or defect. Of autism, according to a law enforcement official who spoke on the condition of anonymity, that could be very significant. Curtis Brainerd covers science journalism for the Columbia Journalism Review. He says the media were not only wrong, but dangerously so when they linked the Newtown massacre to autism. There's absolutely no association between autism and acts of premeditated violence, such as those that we saw in Newtown. And yet, in a vacuum of information, any detail that the press cloms on, accurate or not, tends to take on all sorts of significance out of proportion to itself. The public, the media themselves, are looking to grasp onto anything that they can to understand why somebody like Lanza or like any other number of mass killers out there could have done what they've done. And often that quickly becomes the mental state of the shooter. We saw it after the shootings in Tucson, Arizona. We saw it after the shootings in Aurora, Colorado, in which uh, Joe Scarborough speculated that James Holmes, uh, who committed those murders, probably had autism. And I believe uh, just a, a day or two later, Scarborough had to get back on the air and apologize. There was an early report that showed up on Fox News Channel and the Atlantic.com that referred to an ABC News report that Ryan Lanza, the shooter's brother, had told authorities that Adam had Asperger's and some sort of undetermined personality disorder. But weirdly, if you follow that back to the source, a timeline on an ABC News blog, there's no evidence of that report. Do you know whether what we saw was a false sourcing to an unsourced report to begin with or whether ABC actually expunged the item from its timeline? It's a very good question. It's not altogether uncommon when you have a sort of live blog report like they were running for updates to get deleted out as they are subsequently disproven. This is kind of one of the perils in our instantaneous media system. I have no way of knowing whether or not that's what happened with this ABC News report. Do you think it's the association people make between the archetypal loner and the awkward Asperger's case that makes this such a an apparently fetching fact for the press to transmit? Journalists are absolutely latching on to some of the symptoms of autism and extrapolating to make them fit this 
profile that we have of the loner gunman, the social reject who one day snaps. But that's a really far leap that journalists are making and is just totally irresponsible and uncalled for. In the early days of HIV-AIDS, there was all sorts of irrational fear about exposure to people who are HIV positive and people pulling their kids out of school. Exactly those kinds of unsubstantiated fears that the autism community worries about now, should they be worried? They absolutely should be worried. Because of the coverage that's already gone by, some people will forever associate this incident with autism. National surveys have shown that the media consistently over-report dangerous angles associated with mental illness. Other surveys have shown that this takes its toll within the public at large, where many Americans have very badly misconstrued ideas about the connections between people with mental illness and violence. There are very severe risks for not only the mentally ill, but for people who just are a little bit socially awkward. If the media get too carried away with this, people will start looking suspiciously at any kid in high school who keeps to himself. Now, you've observed that there was one news organization that did everything exactly right. The Poughkeepsie Journal in New York. This is a smaller newspaper. It does not probably have a lot of science writers, a lot of mental health experts on staff. And what this paper did in the day after the shooting was contact a local autism care center in a neighboring town, one that's highly respected nationwide, and all of the experts there were able to provide valuable contacts. Curtis, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Curtis Brainerd covers science journalism for the Columbia Journalism Review. We contacted ABC News about the disappearing information in their blog post. They did not provide a comment. can we honor the fallen? How can we be true to their memory? Already, we've seen a national conversation commence, not only about the motivations behind these killings, but about everything from the merits of gun safety laws to the adequacy of our mental health system. And uh, I hope that over the next several days, next several weeks, and next several months, uh, we all reflect on how we can uh, do something about some of the senseless violence that uh, ends up marring uh, this country, uh, but also reflect on uh, all the wonderful people who make this. Uh, these kinds of terrible 
tragic events uh, are happening with too much regularity uh, for us not to do some soul searching and to examine additional ways that we can reduce violence. They lost their lives in a school that could have been any school. I come to offer the love and prayers of a nation. We can't tolerate this anymore. These tragedies must end. And to end them, we must change. Uh, we as a nation must come together in this time of great sadness to honor the victims of the tragedy at town, church, school, other. Our loved ones, taken too soon, who are simply trying to learn, work, worship, shop, or when evil struck, insert hero's name, did not give up. Neither were we. We as a nation know how to honor the memories of those we love by coming together to enact meaningful, unspecified change that will make a difference some point in the indefinite future. Let us bow our heads and pray that I don't have to give any more of these damn speeches as condolencer in chief. Jay, uh, this is Rob from Connecticut calling in response to uh, Chuck from Salt Lake City, uh, who expressed some concern that mental illness isn't given adequate attention as a predictor of mass shooting. Uh, if I can, I'd like to add a healthy dose of scientific uh, skepticism to the argument. First, I have to state that we know very little about the Sandy Hook Elementary shooter. Uh, we don't have a diagnosis with which to work, and we can't assume by virtue of the severity of his crime that he was mentally ill. Uh, as hard as it is for most, many of us to imagine, callously murdering two dozen people, most of them children, uh, does not necessarily make one insane. Uh, in regard to violent crime in general, the numbers simply don't support a strong correlation between mental illness and homicide. Uh, according to a 2008 study, only 15% of homicides are committed by individuals with a diagnosable mental disorder, with a combination of alcoholism and schizophrenia being the strongest predictor. But that still leaves 85% of homicides that are committed by individuals who are judged to be uh, mentally healthy by professionals. So um, while I agree that there's a lot that needs to be done about the state of our mental health services, uh, I disagree that profiling mentally ill as potential spree as a potential spree shooters would achieve better results than you know a assault weapons ban. Uh, I'd also have to challenge such assertion that spree shootings may be related to overmedication or medication in general. Uh, spree killings are few and far between, and offering those few examples which are in which the perpetrators were medicated. Uh, is really nothing more than anecdotal evidence, uh, to which I could just as easily reply, I know a number of people for whom antidepressants and antipsychotics have looked wonders. Uh, again, I think the problem uh, is more significantly uh, lies with our healthcare system. Uh, different people react differently to different drugs. Uh, insurance companies, however, require patients to try older, cheaper medications uh, before they will even cover more current generation antipsychotics or antidepressants. Uh, even if the patient manages to get prior authorization for uh, current made brand psychoactive drugs, they're typically on a high tier on the patient's formulary, and the cost, uh, the copay cost, may be prohibitively expensive. So it's difficult to nail down which antipsychotic or antidepressant will work best for a particular patient, and even then, doctors are hamstrung by the insurance company. So I really don't see how 
anything more than a balanced regimen of medication and therapy would be a more productive uh, means of handling the mentally ill. Well, thanks again, Jay. Take care. Hey, Jay, this is Wade from Texas. I guess I need to cut my messages a little bit shorter. It's just hard to do when you're, uh, when you're talking about something you're passionate about. And I'm very passionate about guns. I guess, you know, I listen to your show, and uh, I am a conservative. I am a gun owner. I own many, many guns and many, many thousands of rounds of ammunition, many high-capacity magazines, and a few AR-15s. I guess what makes me upset about the, the fact that you're trying to ban guns, or not you specifically, but people are trying to ban AR-15s, high-capacity mags. Mine didn't do anything wrong. Why should I be punished for what somebody else did? That's, 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 just, that's just offensive to me. And I'm not going to willingly hand them over nor is anybody else that I know so why would we why are we talking about a ban on, where, where do you want to stop you, you, you want to if, you, if you're trying to ban firearms they're already out there there's over 350 million of them how are you going to the Pandora's box is open how are you going to get it back and I know you're not talking about gun, or nobody that I've said, any legitimate person is talking about gun confiscation, but you're talking about banning something, just, why, just to make people feel better? That's not going to solve the problem. AR-15s are used in very, very few crimes. I know, Sandy Hook and Aurora, I know that. Like, come on, you guys are not scared to walk in a mall or go to a, a movie or take your kids to school. You know that you have more chance, a, a higher chance of being killed driving to the mall or driving to the school than you do of dying once you're there. We all know that. Nobody walks around America living in fear. It's just feel-good legislation that does nothing. The fact of the matter is freedom is sometimes scary. Freedom means bad things are going to happen. That's just a fact of life. I mean, you want my proposal? I don't have one because there's not much you can do. This guy planned it out. Yes, he used an easily available weapon. But if it wasn't easily available, you really think this guy couldn't figure out another way? But what's the purpose of this? Banning things that make people feel better is not going to make you feel safe. Or, excuse me, is not going to make you safe. It's just it's a false illusion. But I know i got to keep it short. So that's all I have to say. And, and Jay, you do, you do do a great job in the show. I really appreciate it. And that's coming from a conservative. I listen to every show. So uh, keep it up. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I'm certainly glad to hear back from Wayne in Texas, uh, the last voicemail we just heard. I mean, if he calls back again, I hope he finds a better phone line. But other than that, it was good to hear from him. And if I'm remembering correctly, he's been listening for a while and... You know, conservative or liberal, people are not generally open-minded to the uh, 
uh, you know, opposing viewpoints. But Wayne has called into the show before and said, you know, hey, I disagreed with, you know, point A uh, in the past, but it was explained in such a way that I saw it in a way I never had before. And, you know, so he like called in to, to say thanks. And so, you know, he's definitely uh, an interesting person to, uh, to talk to about, I think, if, you know, if something is said that uh, changes his mind, that he'll be open to having his mind changed. So I'm glad that he called in to be sort of a sounding board on this issue. Obviously, he called in just after the first episode I posted about the Sandy Hook shooting, which was mostly talking about what conservatives said about it and basically had liberals talking about how dumb those conservatives were. Uh, this episode is much more focused on solutions you know the, the liberal liberal perspective uh looking at other countries policies looking at you know potential policies that we can implement here to and in the hopes that it would have an impact so wayne was saying that you know it wasn't his guns that caused uh harm to anyone so why should he be punished for it and you know so just to sort of address uh, a few, few things he said you know in, in that sense you know, Americans' freedoms are definitely curtailed by speed limit signs. And so if you're a race car driver, you're, you know, absolute professional, uh, immaculately safe driver and who, who knows what he's doing, you still aren't allowed to drive 100 miles an hour just because you know what you're doing because we just have to have policies for the whole country to make society safer. And, you know, so that is... A, a place where we as society have sort of, uh, you know, given up some freedom for the sake of public safety. And it doesn't mean that you can't ever drive 100 miles an hour if you want to go to a, you know, uh, you know, racetrack and get in a race car and drive as fast as you want. Then there are places where you can do that. Same with shooting ranges. You you can shoot any gun you can imagine if you go to the right place and, and use it. So... Just as an example, um, you know, of course, no one's talking about confiscating guns. That would be a really, really bad idea that would end up with a lot of dead uh, government officials. And so, uh, you know, as examples were given in this show, um, they, they were doing gun buybacks in various countries. So that answers that question. How do you get some of those guns off the street? Gun buyback programs. Um, and then, of course, no one's talking about banning guns outright. We're just talking about heavy restrictions, uh, such as no license or no unlicensed sales, one to one registration, such as, uh, you know, the same with uh, car registration and, you know, things along those lines. So, again, I don't believe in banning guns the same way I don't believe in banning alcohol or marijuana. Like, I just don't think that bans generally work uh, the way you want them to. And so, you know, governing isn't about being clairvoyant and knowing exactly what results your policies will have. It's about doing the best you can with the information you have and then continuously perfecting as you go. So given the examples of Japan and Australia, it seems reasonable to believe that greater restrictions would lead to greater public safety. And so if we take that as just a baseline understanding of, okay, it, it, you know, I definitely believe it is a myth, a, sort of a conservative pro-gun myth that gun restrictions wouldn't actually reduce crime. I think, as as Wayne mentioned, you know, if uh, you know, if, if if he if that guy couldn't have gotten his hands on that gun really easily, then he could have gotten his hands on something else, or he could have worked harder and gotten that kind of gun. 
But that goes to sort of like the example, the, it's the other extreme example in China where they do have an absolute ban on guns. And so, you know, crazy guy wanted to go stab a bunch of people. And if he'd had a gun, he probably would have shot them. But instead, he stabbed them and no one died. So, I mean, this is not a black and white world. There really are – there are realities to when guns are restricted and it's harder to get them. Crazy people don't necessarily go and get those guns and figure out a way to be as destructive as possible. I think they, they find a way to maybe be as destructive as they're capable of being with what's at hand. Uh, as shown by the, uh, you know, the guy with the knife. And so I want to compare this to an issue I talked about a really long time ago on the show, uh, the death penalty. I had an interesting, very short conversation via Twitter, uh, about the death penalty with a guy in Kansas who was very much in favor of the death penalty, but he very much hated the way states like Texas and Georgia instituted the death penalty because he believed that innocent people were being put to death in those states. And so he really, really wanted to maintain the death penalty in Kansas because he believed that they'd do it right there. But I asked him, I said, so if, if you really hate the way those other states do it, then would you be willing to give up the death penalty in Kansas in order to save innocent lives of people being put to death in Georgia and Texas? And he said, yes. He's like, you know what? Like, I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, I would. I would. You know, I, I wouldn't want to, but I'd give it up in Texas if it, or I'd, I'd, he'd give it up in, in Kansas if it would do good in those other states. And so my question to Wayne is, you know, like, right, no one's saying it's your guns that are causing other people harm, but if you would submit to a national policy that helps to protect other people, it, you know, again, based on the idea that we're all just doing the best we can, we're trying to figure out how to save innocent lives. And so based on other countries' policies, trying to, you know, we're, like we're not making it up as we go. We're trying to say like, hey, what's worked? Let, let's let's create policy that seems like it would work because we've seen it work elsewhere. So, you know, if we going on, on that basis, if we could say in a theoretical sort of way, if we could say it will definitely save innocent people's lives if good law-abiding gun owners submit to somewhat more restrictive laws that don't ban your guns, don't take them away, but just make you abide by more restrictive rules about them, then does that sound like a reasonable compromise? Is that something that gun owners would be willing to do to save innocent lives? So those are my thoughts for now. I'm certainly interested in having this conversation continue. Please keep the calls coming in, 206-202-3410. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely what makes the show survive. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word about clips you particularly like through your social networks. All that can be done through the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black, black, black and white.